Hi, everybody, and welcome. Today is Wednesday, 19th of April of 2023. My name is Rita Q, and today we have a lovely speaker with us, Katie G. She is currently living in Hingham, I think, in Massachusetts with her husband and two girls. Katie is here now today to share her experience, strength and hope with us all. Um, so I'm going to hand it over to her now. Take it away, Katie. Good morning, everyone. I'm Katie G, Recovered Compulsive Eater, and I am also an anorexic and bulimic. Um, wow, it's really an honor to be here. And, um, you know, I'm just going to ask that God um, set aside everything I think I know about what this talk should be, and that, um, and that he shine in and through me. And the first thing that was put on my heart is just something I've been really um, praying a lot about is that there is a shift that's happened inside of me that I continue to pray for is that, you know, my body is just God's vessel. You know what I mean? Like being a compulsive eater, I have suffered um, in sizes of all kinds. And I've gotten away from my primary purpose, which is to be a vessel of God's power, God's love, and God's way of life. Now, when I was 228 pounds, if I saw someone like me and I was at a 100 pounder meeting, I'd be really pissed. And I'd be like, you don't understand me, go screw. Um, so I understand that. And that's what I thought my whole life. And I thought that people who are in normal size bodies just got to eat whatever they wanted. And, um, for me, you know, this disease is, um, I remember my earliest memories feeling like I was empty inside. I chronically felt like I should be somebody else doing something else with some other people at some other time. And my body was not a safe place for me. It just wasn't. Um, and I discovered that food um, was a really good, uh, fast reliever of the mess of my thinking. My thinking was violent from the day I started. Like, just things that you never want to say. Um, so I'd like to, because, because, so I think of compulsive eating like the flu, okay? So when I have the flu, I have symptoms. I have the chills, I have body aches, I have sneezes, um, I have fever, um, lethargy, and those symptoms are pretty significant. They're debilitating, right? Um, and that is what the weight is for me. Um, so I would love it if we could show my pictures uh, and just talk about the pitiful and incomprehensible demoralization of my disease. So um, my, let's see, here they are. Okay, so um, the first picture that you see, this one, um, that is, if you can look in my eyes, I'm pretty dead to the world. So I don't have any little kid pictures of me, but I, I was um, an overweight child. I was, um, you know, I just had that from the time I put flour and sugar into my body, I had an abnormal reaction. Like, I'm going to tell you straight up, like at my earliest birthday parties, I would eat flour and sugar. So like Coke and 
stuff that we weren't allowed to have in the house. And I literally would throw up. So there are pictures of me at my earliest birthday parties. You know, I felt uncomfortable in my skin and then people were coming over and then, um, which made me anxious beyond belief because you're not going to like me. So then I ate food and I had an abnormal reaction. I threw up right away. So this first picture on the left, these first two pictures are, um, I got to be about 185 pounds on five, seven. I got to be about 185 pounds in high school. And then um, it just through your normal, you know, standard compulsive eating, um, you know, just going home every day and binging my brains out and really living to eat. And then I lost um, a relationship. I, I started my first hostage taking when I was um, 15 and I just put that person into my body and like wanted to consume them just like I do the food because that were, those were like my only skills, right? And then we broke up. And for me, um, the disease of compulsive eating is very slow. And then all of a sudden it's a mess. So what happened to me is I, you know, I went on my first diet in the seventh grade. I lost weight, ballooned right back up and then got into a relationship, gained weight, and then when we broke up, like I needed something, right? Like I needed something. I needed that sense of ease and comfort that comes at once by doing something, like something to take me out of this, this body that I'm in, that I'm not comfortable in. And so I started slowly, you know, taking away the food. Like it wasn't like all of a sudden I consciously decided to be anorexic. It was like, let me go to the gym all right, let me go to the gym three times a week. And it always starts healthy, right? Like I'm going to go to the gym three times a week and I'm going, and then I'm going four days a week and then I'm going five days a week and then I'm going seven days a week. I'm going an hour, I'm going two and a half hours. And the next thing I knew I was 110 pounds and I will be straight up honest. Like when they told me I was anorexic, I was like, I have arrived because I'd been in an overweight body for so long. And I thought that like being in this really, you know, anorexic body that, you know, my mom said to me, well, you now have the body every woman in America dreams of, you know, again, this addiction is not her fault, but I was given messages that, okay, so I'm good to go. And what you'll see is, so this is my senior year in high school. This is a year later in college. So you know, the book says every period of controlled eating was inevitably followed by still less control, which leads to pitiful and incomprehensible demoralization. It took no time for me to get from 110 pounds um, to 210 pounds to 228 pounds. And this is another picture. Sorry, they're out of order. Um, this is another picture of me um, suffering at the hands of my compulsive overeating. And you know, that just the kind of eating that, that I do that, um, you know, waking up with food in my mouth, um, half chewed and then continuing to eat it. Um, so the rest of these pictures are in recovery. And I say recovery because I, uh, I'm somebody who has been really sick in the rooms of Overeaters Anonymous because of my fundamental belief that fat is bad and I have to stay away from fat. And um, it's really important for me to stress today, there are three parts of abstinence because I really wanted to believe that this was no sugar, no flour anonymous. Like I really wanted to believe that if I just put down the flour and sugar, I would be okay. 
And so I came into the rooms of OA and um, I put down the flour and sugar and I got to like 90 days and, you know, I thought I'd arrived. I thought that I had no illness, right? So again, I was treated, I treated the symptoms. So I got down to a normal body size, but I didn't treat the flu. Um, I didn't have a way of living life. Like I was joking saying I had my first hostage, but I'm not kidding. I have a disease of fear, like that little girl, right? Like I felt like I was somebody else doing, I should be somebody else doing something else with some other people at other, some other time not fitting into my skin, right? And so I have this fear that other people are not gonna like me. And so then that turns into like this hypersensitive, selfish person where everything that happens is about me. Um, I demand that my needs get met. I mean, I just had no skills and I made enemies in the, in the rooms of Overeaters Anonymous. I mean, I hated any sponsor that called me out. I had, I mean, you think you've had every sponsor in the world? Well, I have too, right? Like I, um, I, what, I was just working on very tools-based program and the tools are fantastic, right? Like if I can't commit to having 4.0, how am I going to commit to a marriage, right? Like that just doesn't, that doesn't equate, but I can't commit to 4.0 if I, uh, uh, amount of food, if I don't have that feeling inside that it's okay to be me. Right. So like, I got to get out of my disease and into recovery, which happens through the 12 steps. Um, so these are pictures. So, um, thanks be to God. I've been in the rooms for 17 years. I did have two healthy pregnancies. Um, which uh, really did a lot with my body weight um, and a lot with my head. I was on hormones and my weight was just going up and down and up and down and up and down. Um, and then over these two pictures, I don't know if you see this picture of um, me on the right-hand side next to my mother-in-law. Like I thought that that was not thin enough. And um, this was me last year. And I was saying I was recovered, you know, and I don't know if you can see that, but like, and I don't mean any offense, but I look like I'm straight out of the Holocaust. And this picture right here, like if you just see my arms, you know, that's a woman wasting away um, in the rooms of Overeaters Anonymous. So I'm sorry, I'm jumping around, but back to my, my emphasis on abstinence, like it's not just no flour and sugar. It's, it's not just weighing and measuring my food. Like it's putting down all of the behaviors. Like for me, um, over-exercising, under-exercising, um, using Diet Coke, Ipecac, laxatives, sweeteners, all the stuff that this diet culture has taught me. Um, and um, this picture right here, so you can, I can wrap and then you can see my face again and it's easier, is um, this is me today. This is me with my two girls. I have my queen uh, robe on. We, uh, we dressed up as royalty for, for Halloween. Um, and so you can put those pictures down now so I can see everybody's faces. Sorry that took so long. Um, so anyway, so um, yeah, so I'm just going to take a breath and um, pause and just see what else I want to say. So abstinence is the action of, of putting down all of those foods and 
you know, I'll tell you the, um, the pitiful and incomprehensible demoralization that I felt at a hundred pounds was the same, a hundred pounds over was the same that I felt at a hundred pounds, um, 110 pounds. Like I had, um, I had body hair. Um, I couldn't digest any food. Um, I had flatulence so badly, uh, cause when you stop eating, you can't process food. Um, and I, I just had this totally dishonest, um, like I wanted you all to believe that I was this one, one person, um, while, um, while really inside, I, I knew I was a fraud. Um, so anyway, um, I, sorry, um, I didn't realize here. Okay. Sorry. I just wanted to see how much time I had. So, um, so yeah, so within the rooms of OA, I never worked the steps. Um, I, I got to a point um, where I was maintaining my body weight and yet um, I kept hitting bottoms where I didn't understand, like I couldn't have these relationships. And I thought if I would just like become Orthodox Jewish or if I would just become a born again Christian that I could like meet a man and then, then ride off into the sun, sunset because I have that disease of Sunday aisle. Like I have that disease of like when I'm married and have kids and live in the suburbs and have two dogs, I'll be okay, right? Or when I'm thin, I'll be okay. And that's all such a delusion. Um, and so I remember um, I heard of these people working the big book, studying the big book, right? And they talked about being in the rooms of OA, being in the rooms of AA and being completely miserable, which never made any sense to me because I was like, why would you be miserable if you're in a normal sized body? Like there's no problem anymore. But that again, I just treated the symptom and now I'm left with the flu still in my body, still functioning. And so I did, um, I remember saying to someone, you know, the biggest shame that I had was my relationships. Like I did not know how to have healthy relationships. I dated women, I dated men, I dated anybody who I could put into my body, throw up all over and then spit out. I was constantly, I was dating one person and then a backup person and then a backup person. Um, and, and I used people terribly because I just disliked myself so badly. I remember um, one time I was in a relationship with one person and then I became best friends with another person and I started dating their friend because I wanted to date them. And if you can follow that, then you do deserve your, your seat in this room. And so I, I did this, I, I found the steps out of the big book and it took me a year. Uh, I, I know that that can be sacrilege for some people, but I did the steps out of the big book with um, a process that's called the big book step study. And I had the start of a spiritual experience, a connection with God. Um, but I, um, I, I somehow would end up like I, I found a relationship with God and then other things would get in the way. And I would start taking that um, everything. And I would start living in the delusion again, like a relationship's going to fix it or, um, you know, being thinner is going to fix it. And I'll, I'll tell you the most, um, I've been in the rooms for 17 years and I picked up probably three times with food. And the hardest time that I picked up was the most recently. And it was not with flour and sugar. And I was really angry. And I wanted to tell everyone that I hadn't eaten flour and sugar, but that I had exercised bulimically and that I, I didn't, because I didn't think that that was a big deal. 
you know, like I didn't, just like I didn't think that like overeating a carrot would be a big deal. I didn't think that like abusing myself with exercise would be a big deal. It was my secret. It was my happy place. So how dare you like take away this right that I have to sell my soul to the scale. And I can tell you, and it may not make sense to you, but I can tell you that at the end of my exercise, I was getting on the scale against my will. Like I literally had an app that, that told me what I weighed every day. And all I could do was like get up in the morning. And the first thing that I thought about, just like when I was overeating, the first thing I thought about, I was owned by that number and I would get on the scale. And if it said like 121, like I wasn't okay for the rest of the day. And the saddest part about that is like, you know, I, I live, I came into the rooms when I was 27 and I had nobody and nothing. And I thought if I just got the, the marriage and the kids and the dogs and the house that I would be okay. And the thing is, I got the marriage and the worst part of my marriage was not my husband, but it was that the day after I was still myself right? Like I still didn't feel comfortable in my own skin or I worked, um, I worked four years with God, um, to have babies because I'm barren, you know, because of this disease. And, um, and I finally had children and I thought having children would bring me happiness. And, you know, I'm living in this, this, this house, right. And I have a husband and I have two kids and I had two dogs and, um, I was recovered. And I didn't know how to share like how much pain I was in. Like I, like that picture of me from last year, like I, I couldn't see my husband. Like I couldn't, the only thing that was important to me, um, was being thin. And, um, one of the things that I did, um, want to share is that, that, that pain has been with me my whole life. I, I wrote a book called, Oh No when I was six years old and you know how like kids, you write your first book, like as a way of reading and learning language. So the book, Oh No, and it's somewhere up here it, um, on the cover, it has fat people, literally like fat people. And they've got um, their hands behind their back with handcuffs, because that to me is what it feels like when you're fat. But I was like eight or six years old. And this girl, she, um, she lies to her mom, me. I lie to my mom about eating candy bars and I get transformed to the world of oh no. And in the world of oh no is who I, who my disease is at the core. All of this food, like mouth-watering chocolate sundaes, right? And then fat people. And I like that is that was my, you know, that that was my greatest fear because if I'm fat, no one will love me. Nobody like I I can't move, I can't breathe, I can't shower, like. And in order to get out of the land of, oh no, I got on my knees and there's this little girl that is on her knees crying, saying, I'll do anything. And she said, just don't eat candy bars again. And I got back to the world, right? And like, that's the crux of our illness, right? Like I can't stop. Like I have this allergy of the body where I get screwed when I put those foods, ingredients and behaviors into my body. And that makes sense. But the hardest thing is I have this obsessive mind, right? And it doesn't have to be about food. I can obsess about the carpet, right? But I'm obsessing, I'm obsessing, I'm obsessing. Thought comes in, use food, and boom, 
I'm off to the races or use, use anything and boom, I'm off to the races. Like I can't stop myself. And, um, and that's the crux of the disease. And for me, um, what has happened, I, I want to just offer everyone hope because the, 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 the condition of compulsive eating is the most amazing disease because we have a solution. The problem is that I have a brain, I have a disease that talks in my own tone. It talks in my own breath. It talks and it, it, it believes y'all are out to get me. Y'all are out to get me. You're out to screw me over in the rooms of Overeaters Anonymous. You're, you're telling me I can't eat the food I want. You're telling me I can't weigh what I want to weigh. I can't have that milk in my coffee. I can't not weigh and measure. Like I can't, I can't, I can't. But the thing is, this is, this, this is a solution that works, right? So like when I put down those foods, those ingredients and those behaviors, I'm left a mess. If you feel good when you're newly abstinent, just wait a second. That is a really hard place to be, right? And so I had to grip with all my might and listen to people telling me last year, you look like you're dying. I can't do surgery on you because if I do, you will flatline on the table. My husband telling me, I'm out of here. We're done, right? And, and all of that was just frothy emotional appeal until I just finally, I just finally gave up. And I was like, if I'm going to have to put on a hundred pounds that I don't have to live in the hell that is my head, that's fine. And that's where I had to be, to be sponsorable because I didn't, I couldn't interview people. I couldn't tell you, I knew what was best for me. I, I had to do things that pissed me off. My sponsor said, go to vision for you every single day. I was like, I'm done with vision for you. I don't have anything. I don't have anything to learn from vision for you that, you know, and this is me. And if you know me, you know, I love vision for you, but that's where I was. And then she goes, go to a couple extra meetings at night. And I'm like, excuse me, you want me at more than one meeting a day? Like, have you met me? And then she said, you're not recovered. And I was like, oh, by the way, and to put down recovered, like for my ego, I was like, are you kidding? And I wanted to get on the line and I wanted to tell everyone, but I really am recovered because I haven't eaten flour and sugar, but that's not what this is about, right? This is about, am I engaging with this whole addiction of overeating, undereating, dieting, you know, all of that has to be over. Um, and, and I did, I put it down because I had nothing left. And I remember those first days, I remember not being able to exercise. I had to put exercise down and just walking like my skin was on, um, exposed and I was playing bumper cars, but man, did God come in. He came in and he just was like, I'm here for you. I love you. And he helped me slowly settle into my own skin and I was required. And now I have the pleasure of taking a half an hour with God every single day. Like I'm, Oh, I've always talked about God, but did I, did I wake up in the morning and get on my knees? No. Did I take quiet time with God? No way. I'm too busy. Like, so now today, like it's a non-negotiable, like we sit together for a half an hour. And part of that is five minutes of nothing, which for me is pretty hard. Like no phone, no, like God app, no God devotional, but just sitting there. Right with me and that little girl who felt like I was somebody else doing something else with some other people at some other time. Like I can tell you, like, I want to be me today, you know, and, and that's not always easy. And, um, and I, and I'm going to be honest, I still struggle. Like I have had an absolute profound spiritual awakening 
as the result of, of these steps, but I continue like my body is, is, is burdened with the ravages of this disease. This, this past year, I had a lung collapse on me, not once, but twice. I thought I had breast cancer. Um, what else? I have major GI disturbances. Um, if you look at my stomach, um, I have a stomach that looks like I'm pregnant and I'm barren. And so I have people, and I know some of you are probably thinking I'm poo-poo for Cocoa Puffs, but I do like when I am, I look like the Grinch because of the damage that I've done to my body. And so I have a lot, a lot of people that say, oh, when are you pregnant? Like, when do you do? You know, and I've had to learn to say, you know what, this is my body, right? This is just, this is just who I am. And I'm just a vessel for God. Right. And I can say, oh, actually, you know, I have, I have damage to my body <laughs> and, um, and not be defensive about it and not have my feelings hurt, but be like, you know what, I'm God's girl. This is who I am. And this is who God made me to be. And, um, yeah, I just, I don't know. I know that I've been all over the map, but I, if you're new and you have no idea about anything I've said today, I just want you to know, I understand. I never thought that anybody else would understand what it was like to feel so uncomfortable in my skin. And then how about to go home after school and like just gorge my brains out so that I could feel okay. And then not feeling okay because I was gorging my brains out. You know, I have had a spiritual awakening as the result of these steps, which means I'm in my body and I can be in today. And yesterday I went to the playground with my little girls who are the like most delicious, precious little girls I've ever met. And we went up and down the slide and I was in the, I was in the, I was in the moment, right? Like that's the thing about this disease too, is it takes away from my ability to be in the moment. And where is God? God is in the present moment. And I, and I want to say too, like this whole program is founded on me having a spiritual awakening and having a relationship with a power greater than me that has brought me sanity. And you know what else I get to do? I get to be God's girl. I get to say, God, like, what do you want me to do with my time today? Who do you want me to help? And, you know, that whole like resentment making machine, the machine that thought everyone in OA was out to get me, that thought everyone in OA wanted me to be fat, like that she's just not there anymore. Like it's just, or if it is, like I'm doing a step 10 and I'm like, oh yeah, because I've learned the language of my disease. I've learned the language. I've learned what it sounds like when I'm living in diseased mind versus God's mind. And I've learned to differentiate the truth from the false and all of the tools that I'm asked to do, like I do them because I want to, like talking to Rita or talking to any of my friends here, like all of you on the phone man, is it a privilege? Like, I just love it. I love being a member of Overeaters Anonymous. Um, I, I stayed out of this room for a long time because I thought it was an unsexy, uncool room to be in. And I, I don't have a life today without this room. I don't have a life today without these 12 steps. And um, so if you're suffering because you're recovered, but you're hiding, or you're suffering because you're new and you're hiding, or you're suffering just because you are, because you don't know what to do. Like, you're not the only one. Like, you're not that special. I promise. I, I, <laughs> I mean, you are special, but you're not unique. Like, we're all here, not because we 
Like, let's be honest. I'm not here because I wanted to round my life with a little bit of OA. I, I, I'm here because I'm not all there. And today, thank God, I, I know that. And I know that, um, that there's a solution and it works. And if you heard nothing else, I just want you to hear hope, hope, hope. God, God, God. Uh, you don't have to be in pain anymore. And you have a fellowship of friends and we're just going to love you until you find God yourself. And God, I pass. Okay, thank you so much. What a message of depth and way. I'm just going to read a wee part out of Way Agnostics for you. Instead, we looked at the human defects of these people and sometimes used your shortcomings as a basis of wholesale condemnation. We talked of intolerance while we were intolerant ourselves. We missed the reality and the beauty of the forest because we were diverted by the ugliness of some of its trees. We never gave the spiritual side of life a fair hearing. In our personal stories, you will find a wide variation in the way each teller approaches and conceives of the power which is greater than himself. In the face of collapse and despair, in the face of total failure of their human resources, they find that a new power, peace, happiness, and sense of direction flowed into them. This happens soon after they wholeheartedly met a few simple requirements. That's page 50, we agnostics in the big book. And I'll stop it there. <laughs>